0: I'm Bianca Vivion, and this is Ask Viv. Welcome to episode 18. 17 episodes and roughly 360-something days ago, I released the first episode of Ask Viv, and it has been the pleasure of my life to create this podcast. And today, we are in for our best episode ever. And I know I say that every episode, But this episode, we are going to have a very, very special guest. And what more special of a guest than my own mama?
1: My name is Darlene Brooks-Thomas, and I am Bianca's mother, Bianca Vivian. I'm also the mother of her siblings. I'm an author. I am a parent mentor and a mother's advocate. And I work with mothers, and I teach parenting classes. And I use my book, A Mother's Manual, for all the work that I do. I go anywhere and everywhere mothers are gathered to help mothers, to help them raise their children to be the best they can be. That's what
0: I do. I'm so excited about this episode because so often you wouldn't even know it, but so many of you all who are parents and who are married or who are engaged or just in much more serious stages of your life than I've ever gotten to send me in questions and I'm never really able to answer them because I only want to give Real advice that you can go out and follow. I want to give you real mantras to live by I want you to be bettered by the things that I tell you to do and I know and recognize when I'm out of my depth And so I knew that eventually I would get to the point whether it was talking about mental health or talking about domestic violence or talking about Parenthood or motherhood that I would need to solicit the help of an expert to talk about the ways in which we play these roles sometimes badly, sometimes very well, and I knew I would need to bring in an expert sooner or later, and so what better time than the one-year anniversary episode of this wonderful show, and what better person than my own mom, who, by the way, is the person that I get all of my advice from at any given moment, so she's going to help me answer all of you all's questions. She's really gonna school you all. I'm hoping that she'll bring in her anecdotes, her life experiences, because even though she has all of these titles, author, mother, wife, there's really no succinct way to sum up the amount of life experience and good advice this woman has just through understanding womanhood, owning herself, owning her own experiences. I learned all of that firsthand and it's almost funny because Ask Viv is really just a secondhand version of Ask Darlene that I've lived through the the last 20-something years. I really think that there's something special about bringing generations together. It's very funny because even though me and my mom, we're also best friends, like I really do tell my mother everything, have no secrets, have no shame. And that's a very special relationship to have. But I think what's funnier is the ways in which we disagree and bump heads and defer. And I find that it's the things that have changed in a generational womanhood and just things that have changed in history. And I find that we're only getting better as time goes on. I've seen my mother's own ideas of beauty change, I've seen my mother's own ideals of success or what it means to play the role of a wife or I've seen these things change and it's just so beautiful to know that as I've grown up and come into my own womanhood over the last two odd decades that my mother has too. I've seen my mother grow up with her children and I think that if we have the privilege of growing up with our parents. If we have the privilege of, you know, like Warshenshire says, giving birth to our mothers in the same sort of ways that they give birth to us, understanding their pain, helping them develop, bringing them into the new world, into the new technology, into new understandings of themselves, that exchange of love is something that is so beyond powerful versus the old ways of these generational blocks feeling insurmountable. Like there are things about your parents that they just couldn't understand you and you just couldn't understand them. And if this episode is not anything else, I hope that it's an exercise in seeing that you can break those boundaries because my Absolutely. mom and I, we were not always on the same page. I couldn't always come to her about birth control. It was me taking a chance on my mother to say maybe she would understand. No, this is the first time
1: in all of uh, you and your siblings life that all four of you have completely trusted me, Uh, personal things and professional things. And I, I recognize that.
0: Uh, What one thing I think is special, and I hope that you find that in this episode is that all of the things that I talk about for the other 17 episodes about learning to love yourself so that you could love others, I learned that and internalized that so much from my mother. Because I saw the times when my mom struggled with her own self-esteem and self-worth and not even having anything to do with beauty, but just seeing the world really kick her ass and take everything to the chin, not necessarily being not with no sense of bitterness with no sense of entitlement about what the world owed her no sense of oh fuck you know even like with baby daddies or whatever kind of drama but it was really just because my mom wanted to be better at loving her kids and that was the first time that i realized i now mirror that not towards children yet but towards the love that i give this show and my listeners and my readers and supporters it's that I go through, I take my losses to the chin, and I get my ass kicked on a weekly basis with trying to accomplish and build what I'm trying to build simply to better love and put something out in the world that people can really hold to and feel supported and feel okay. And it's so lovely to talk to my mom, not just because she's my mom, but because I want you all to know that that process was something that was generational. That my mom did that for her kids so that I could do that for the world in a way. And that there's something deeply humbling about understanding that there's a source of that love that goes beyond me. And even for my mother, there's a source that goes beyond her. And we're constantly trying to find a way to love and put love out in the world so that we can leave it better than we found it. Exactly. And I think that when you talk, when you have a mother-daughter conversation, it's such a special thing because you start to understand that for me, these are not unique ideas, but also you understand the kind of thinker I am for the simple fact that these are not things that I just got from a James Baldwin book. The idea of radical love, I articulated it through Baldwin. I articulated it through Du Bois, through King, through... Tony Morrison, I articulated it through the tradition, but I learned it in my household. Excellent. It started there, and that's why I always tell you all, for however smart you want to be, and however impressive you want to be out in the world, you can read books, you can get the education, six-figure salary, build the consulting company, build the media network, make the podcast, reach the millions of people that you want to talk to, but if you can't give love at home and receive love at home if you can't work through your shit with your mother with your father with your siblings if you can't give love on a one-to-one basis and if you can't know love in yourself then the world the work that you do in the world will not all, only always feel in vain and you will always feel fraudulent but you will never fully understand what it means to be a whole person because it is on these one-to-one level relationships that I've learned what it means to give love on a worldwide stage in an authentic way. I, when I was a kid, would give love to the world and I would be wanting to receive validation and I always got the accolades, always got the awards, but would go home and not be able to give any love in my household. And I always felt that emptiness, I always felt that fraudulence, I felt shameful and like a liar to be able to talk about girlhood and womanhood on the radio, in the newspaper, but then not be able to tell my mom that I was on birth control or not be able to tell my mom certain things. And so it's now that I'm coming full circle in my world that I've built both in and outside of my house that I can feel like I can actually give these things to you all and it really be a true and real authentic gift. And so I thank you. So with that being said, I'm going to get right into these questions because I know that's your favorite part. Dear Viv, I am in love with a man who has moved on. This story is so long, it's ridiculous. I wasn't ready to be in a relationship, so I ended it. In hindsight, I realized I was in love and just afraid. My sister says that she notices when I'm around him his demeanor changes. I'm not sure if it's because he loves me too or if he feels awkward because he doesn't want to be bothered by me. This was a guy whose pain and sadness I felt when he was miles away and speechless. I'm stuck. What should I do? I will defer this to my mother.
1: (laughs) Well, I feel like she answered the question in the first sentence because she said he's moved on. So you really need to move on too. I hope you have some photographs of him if you want to look at him every now and then, but there was nothing positive or just what do you do with that? You're in sadness, pain, moved on, let it go, you move on and there it's over. That's it.
0: I think I'm learning now that there's a very there's something very special about meeting people where they meet you. And I think that it's something that women are not taught enough because we're always, it's partially hope and faith that we have in romance, but I think it's also being taught to overcompensate for men's lack of emotions. And I found that lately in business, I found in romance, that there's really nothing honorable about attempting to love people who have no love for you. And I've been in so many situations, and Mom, maybe you can speak to this, where I have just tried to meet a man over halfway and thought, if I go 70% of the way, you'll meet me this 30. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm in love with you, but you've moved on. So as long as I continue to trail behind you, eventually you'll turn around and see me. And that's just never how it works. And it just takes up so much time and energy trying to love people who don't have that time, that effort, that love to give you, and just hoping, hoping, hoping it's going to change. It is just the fact of the matter. You have to move on if somebody else has moved on. It's recognizing that sometimes it's just not meant to happen. It's just not meant to be.
1: Yeah, well that, that happened to me once and, I, and I, I wrote a paper about it because I was so impressed by it, the way the guy just let go and I was still there like wondering what can we do blah 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 and he basically had just checked out it's like I live uh, in another country this is not gonna work goodbye and I said you know what I really admire that because men get what they want and I wrote about it and I called it what's the deal because men get their deal they get what they need if it's like I'm gonna be married and I'm gonna travel a lot on business so I can have my free time or I'm gonna play golf so I can be away or I'm gonna have a mistress They get all their boxes checked and women are always trying to figure out like where do I fit in his life where do I get in what box can I get and they don't have their own boxes to check and it's like you don't get your deal but men are getting there so like why don't you just focus on you and get yours because apparently you weren't what he needed that's why he's moved on and you're still like trying to figure out what to do to get back and you know fulfill his needs and be what he needs and this and that what's your deal that's all that's all what it boils down
0: to. And lastly, I would say that as you get older, it takes a lot of time to want people who want you. I mean, you learn your whole life as a child as an adolescent to just want people and that be enough to do the work. But it takes a lot of heartbreak and a lot of just training the muscle to only want people who want you and to only want them as much as they want you i mean it took me a really long time to stop wanting men more than they wanted me and thinking i was better for it because for me i would be making excuses i'd be like this thing happened to this person or this person doesn't have the capacity and it took me a while that one of my standards was This person has to be as eager and as passionate and as dedicated to me as I am to them. It was not even a standard of mine. It took a really long time to get there after being so used up by people who maybe they wanted me but not enough to show me the care and respect that I deserved. So with that, I would say don't be anybody's fool and if he's already moved on, then you should be moving as fast forward in another direction. Dear Viv, this summer I got married to the love of my life who has some serious mental health issues because of child abandonment, mostly PTSD. We've had to separate this year because we got into grad school in different places and it's really exasperated my wife's depression, anxiety, and dysphoria. My wife recently broke things off with an abusive close friend at school, so now she doesn't have people that she feels that she can talk to and feels very isolated. Though we FaceTime each other every day and visit each other every other weekend for four days at a time, nothing seems to help her anxiety. She's scared I'll leave her, scared she's not good enough for me, and so every time I try to talk to her about something that bothers me in our relationship, she has a panic attack and dialogue becomes very difficult. I spend a large portion of my day trying to assure her and build her up, and it often leaves me feeling drained. It's especially hard because when I'm struggling with my own mental health, there doesn't seem to be much space to talk about it. I want to have these conversations, but I don't want her to hurt herself. Besides her therapist, she doesn't have people she can turn to when she needs support. When we're together in person, our relationship is very beautiful, but when we're not, it seems very unhealthy. What should I do?" I can't even pretend for three seconds to know the first thing about marriage. So I will defer to my mother. Yeah.
1: I don't know how much this is about marriage as it is about um, just taking care of your own mental health. And I don't know if, if you're in therapy as well, but it sounds like that you really have to be if you're going to sustain this relationship because you knew what you were getting into when you got married and marriage is so serious and it's supposed to be permanent and it's just a very difficult um, path to take if you have all of that other stuff going on and and you do so you need to take care of yourself so that you can be whole in the relationship
0: I feel like I feel like I feel like in marriage when people get married especially newlyweds they try as hard as they can they don't establish boundaries because it feels for people who are newly married like the last thing that you want is boundaries and because you all already have a spatial boundary having to be in two different places you've tried to overcompensate by expending yourself completely to your partner And so you're left feeling drained because other than not having constant physical access to you, she has complete emotional access, complete mental access, and you have not been able to carve out your own mental time and energy to give and dedicate to yourself. And even though marriage is a type of partnership, it's not a kind of ownership. You can't take full ownership over Her problems. To a certain extent, she has to be responsible for herself, and you have to trust her enough that she's going to partake in that process. And if there's something about your school schedules that's not working then the reality of it is as a married couple you have to be willing to make compromises if that's the deal breaker maybe that it's a possibility that you can't be in grad school at the same time in two different places maybe she should not be in school at this time maybe you should not be in school at this time i mean if you were going to get married and you knew that grad school was going to be coming up you had to know that there was some kind of way you all were going to have to work it out to be together and it just doesn't seem yeah,
1: like that, a realistic that's very true especially because people uh, and I, I use this all the time do a pie chart and, and just see how you're spending your time and see how many you know, how to balance your life because it's hard to balance it enough if you don't look at it like right there write it on paper and say how much time I spend with this, how much time I'm spending in school, how much time am I spending for myself, how much time am I spending with community, relationship, so on, so on, so forth. Because you may not even have the room to do all of these things. Sometimes you have to take something off your plate, just like, yeah, just like you said, and see how you, if, and see if you're equipped to do this. Make sure that she has the right therapist, because that therapist should be giving her tools to. To work with so that she can
0: fix herself yeah
1: so that and, she can do better so make sure that that's happening because uh, I too have PTSD and I've had it for years I it's I can manage it now but thankfully I'm also married to a mental health clinician who knows this who you know we went into this marriage and he knows everything about me but are you equipped to handle this I don't know. This is something that a professional needs to handle, but you need to make sure that your wife is getting the best care that she can get and that it's working because I've known people that have been in therapy for years and years and years and years and years with the same therapist and just kept the same problem and really are just, you know, making some therapists wealthy and they're not getting better. So you make sure that she's getting the best care.
0: And I would also have to say that this is why I always so many times in this show have talked about setting personal boundaries because I think that people get into all types of relationships, marriage included, and because you have what is now supposed to be a lifelong partner, you expect them to work out certain issues that you have. And so the fact that she has a fear that you're going to leave her, despite the fact that you all took vows, the fact that she's constantly trying to test your love just shows that she has her own things that she needs to work on as far as building out her own sense of personal security that have very little actually to do with your marriage. And you should be making sure in setting your boundaries that she's not using your marriage as a crutch to deal with problems that she had prior to marrying you. Because a lot of people look at these relationships as an escape from dealing with their own personal issues and marriage not marriage, not motherhood, none of these things are an escape from the issues that you already have. You can't use people. You can't use a baby. You can't use a husband. You can't use a wife. You can't use people as an out or an avenue away from your own personal issues. Yeah, it just doesn't to work. Keep from doing the work yourself. Yeah, to keep from doing the work. Nothing's going to keep her from doing the work. And you need to enable her to do the work, not enable her in a into codependency, because that's a lot of what it sounds like. And so I think part of the work that you have to do, we've talked about what she has to do, but you have to let go of your grip a little. You have to trust life a little, trust the relationship that you have, and you have to take care of yourself while also figuring out how you're going to rework how you all spend your time so that you can have... A sustainable and lasting marriage and understand that if the marriage is the thing that has to be forever then the, there are other things that may have to take up other spaces of time have to be moved around people that have to move things that have to be given up temporarily or permanently to make it work dear Viv how have you helped yourself out of feelings of hopelessness what would you say to comfort your younger self advice about embracing aging how have you gotten through periods of loneliness as you've gotten older in good and constructive ways? Well, I'm almost triple positive that this is directed towards my mother, but I would say for me, I have no fear of aging. In fact, I'm constantly talking about how I can't wait to be 40. I can't wait to be 50 just because I've seen how beautiful and flourishing my mother has been. And I've actually always look at my mom's life and say that her best years are ahead of her not behind her despite living such a full vibrant and adventurous life i only see it getting better and i think it's because mom you embrace aging it doesn't seem like a death sentence i've seen you become happier like in your
1: 50s i'm I'm happier and happier i get happier and happier and happier but you know it's so funny because i just I just uh, posted something on social media the other day and told everybody I'm, I'm 58 because I often get mistaken to be like younger than I am. And I'm just so thankful to be here because I tried it. Oh my God, I tried it so many times. It's a, you know, I know it's a miracle that I'm still here. And I feel like I've lived at least five different lifetimes. And, and I've changed so many things so many times, my 20s, my 30s, my 40s. I think, I think um, you know, and I've, I've never been somebody who's been lonely because, first of all, I was an only child for 13 years, and then I had a little brother, and then I met my father when I was 20, and then all of a sudden I was big sister to three other siblings, and I still am. I'm the, I'm the oldest of, of all of the siblings, so, you know, I spent a lot of time alone as a child, and I like being to myself. I like, I like myself. I like whatever I'm doing alone. I travel alone. I've taught my children to love themselves enough to enjoy their own company because I think if you don't enjoy being alone, then you really are gonna be hard to live with with anybody else. You know, we just talked about being codependent. It it creates codependency. Learn to enjoy your own company and you won't be lonely.
0: You know, but I will say, I do remember a vivid memory in my mother's life. I was in my second I was in my first or second year of college, and I remember that my mom moved to New York Mm -hmm. from California, and she moved to upstate, middle of butt fuck nowhere, New York. (laughs) And I remember she lived, and she lived in the like this top floor tower of this like reformed Catholic school that became an apartment building, and it was literally a tower. And it was in the dark, in the mountains, and I would go and visit her. And I just remember it was so interesting to see my mother completely by herself because she didn't, she didn't have neighbors, people in the neighborhood she was hanging out with. It was a real period of solitude in, in her early fifties. And it was strange to me because I had always seen my mom with a boyfriend or married or leaving a relationship. And it was so interesting to me to see her separate from any kind of romantic involvement, done with raising kids in the house having sent all of her kids to school and it was just strange because I remember thinking I would be terrified if I was alone 50 something in this random ass place pretty much starting over and that was right before she met her current husband and fell in love again and just Turned into a completely different person what do you think that time of your life did for you that first of solitude? all that was necessary that
1: was the first time I had lived alone in 26 years mm-hmm. because once I had a child I was never alone again and I don't think a lot of people realize that once you have a child you're gonna be with that child for a long time and then I had another child and another child and another child but I had not lived alone in 26 years. So I was really excited about being alone. And I was living right over the Hudson River. It was beautiful. I had a rooftop, remember, a garden I can go sit. And um, it was just a lot of solitude. It was a convent, the part of the building that I lived in. So it was a sacred place and it was a time for me to just get to know me I did whatever I wanted to do in that
0: and you know there's there's such a funny memory I remember when you when you had a mouse in that house and I remember you telling me that it was you coming to terms with your fear of mice which it's like it's so interesting yeah it
1: was that made me very angry
0: but I mean it's just interesting to think about the fact that when you ask about how you comfort your younger self how do you embrace aging I think it's so much about never losing that youthful ability to confront your fears and to dive head first into a new part of your life. I mean, my mom has always entertained the idea that tomorrow is better than yesterday, that the future is more important than the past. And I think that I talk about this a lot, this mindset of embracing newness, because I think so much of people's terror with aging is that they get this mindset that their life is done and that the choices that they've made, whether it be the choices they made in their 20s or whatever. I know even 20-something-year-olds who are so constricted and confined to the choices that they felt that they made as teenagers or in their 20s that they're dreading their 30s because they think, I've made my choices, my life is set for me. And I've seen my mom go through such low lows. It was not always, you know married to a doctor comfortable traveling it was like she's gone through such low lows but has never stopped entertaining the possibility that tomorrow is more important than yesterday and i think that you're still entertaining that possibility yeah. well, i mean cause because you have I, no grandchildren that's so. because i have faith but i have right. grand
1: dogs <laughs> I, have, I have three grand dogs and i love very much and a grand cat so um i have a lot of faith Right. And I really do know and I recognize and I see every move that God has made in my life and I've never ever been apart from that. I, I went back to my Sunday school teacher when I was I think about 19 and I went and studied with her, the lady that was my Sunday school teacher when I was like 7 and 8 and 9 years old and had her teach me things, studied with her, I got baptized and then I just kind of went foot-loose, fancy-free upon the world and just started moving around and living my life very freely, knowing that I was protected and I was very, always very faithful and always very hopeful, and I never lose hope. And that's something that you absolutely cannot do. You know, I have recently lost a friend to suicide, and that devastated me. You cannot make a permanent solution for a temporary problem never lose hope. You have to know that. You have to be aware of it. You have to really strengthen your discernment and ability to read things. Constantly look in the mirror at yourself. Tell yourself the truth. Things that you need to work on about yourself. It's Just stop lying to yourself. It's like unto the own self be true means something for real. Because if you don't know what you need, what you you know, you can't be grateful for what you already are. have, who you are, then you're just gonna be chasing your tail anyway, lonely, uh, not wanting to get older. And I always used, used to tell you guys, it's like, um, you know, when you you guys would tease me, be like, oh, you're old, mom, especially your sister, but <laughs> I said, you know what, you're either old or dead. There's, you know, there's no in-between. You get older or you're dead. And I'm thankful to be older.
0: Dear Viv, you're so beautiful as far as I can tell from pictures. Do you have any insecurities and how do you deal with the concept of beauty, especially in regards to black women? I have been saving this question for such a long time, but I think that when I think about my own self-conceptions of beauty, for me, especially with black women, I think that I think that the issue with a lot of Black women is that there's such this narrative that our whole lives, until very recently, we imagined white as beautiful and we perceived because of images in media and television and movies and magazines and advertisements growing up, we saw whiteness as an equivalent to beauty, that we have issues crafting our own conception or ideal of beauty. For me, actually, this was never an issue because I have always seen my mom as the most beautiful woman I knew. And the only thing I ever wanted to do as a kid was look more like my mom. And I had these massive cheeks growing up and I used to just suck in my cheeks to show my cheekbones so that I looked more like my mom and i go dress up in my mother's shoes and she had a closet that was only for evening gowns and formal wear, and then she had a closet that was only for shoes and accessories. And I just thought, oh, when I grow up, I just wanna be my mom. And I think that there was something so powerful about my image and goal for beauty being my own mother, not just because she was fabulous or on a vain level, but because it was an actual attainable idea of beauty. And so it's the reason I don't have a fear of aging. It's the reason why even my insecurities that I do have, they seem so much to me like vanity that they kind of change because some days I'll be like, oh, I'm insecure about my weight. When I was a kid, I was really insecure about my calf muscles because I have huge calves and I always would see these stick skinny girls who did not look very good in heels that had these really, really small legs. And I'd be like, oh, well, you know, everybody has small legs that's beautiful everybody looks like this or looks like that but then I would just come home and see my mom and I'd be like well this is the most beautiful woman alive and she looks just like me so mom I want you to talk about your own conceptions of beauty and how you've dealt with your own insecurities or how you formed a personal standard of beauty especially as a black woman aging I know that's a lot but yeah
1: it is a lot but <laughs> you know I I prob- I was insecure about the way I looked when I was kid because my mother used to tell me all the time that I was pretty and I thought she was insane and then I uh, when I left for college I came back home one summer and my uncle who is like my big brother his friends who used to tell me to go home get away stop following us get out of the room all of a sudden was like wow what happened to her and they all started asking me out when I was like 19 years old and I started to change. I call it like the ugly duckling syndrome. I turned into a swan and then I just got kind of a different ideal of what beautiful was because I never was into like ever wanting to be anything near white. I mean I grew up in Oakland when the Black Panthers were rolling around in the streets so it wasn't about nothing white. Um, I just have always enjoyed being a girl I was very prissy when I was young you know I used to dress up my mother took me to finer stores and bought me beautiful clothing then I was just always into dressing up and going out and and I never lost that and I think you guys just took that for me I was always into clothes and when we lived in Atlanta it was just like costumes because Atlanta was that and I worked at a television network where I was basically like the first uh, person that people would see because I was the liaison to the CEO, and he lived in LA. So I had to go from, you know, meeting all of these highbrow people, whether they were politicians or celebrities or whatever, and I had to dress up every day. And then there was church on Sundays, which is a whole different costume time. So you feel really beautiful, but I just enjoy being a girl. It's compliment everything that I think is beautiful. I don't hold it to myself. If I see someone that I think is beautiful, I tell them, I think you're beautiful.
0: I think that even beyond just gender, what you're getting at is that you become enamored with the experience of beauty. Like for me, that whole beauty is pain thing was bullshit. I mean, for me, I love love getting dressed in the morning. I love going to the gym and feeling more physically fit. I love putting on a full face of makeup and curling my hair. To me, it's a luxury experience that I get every single day. I love picking out clothes. It doesn't have to be expensive clothes. It does, for me, Like the process of partaking in making myself more beautiful is just another part of the process of making my life what I want it to be. Like Beauty for me is self-ownership of image. I think that that's really what it is. I can look like how I want to look and I'm judged by a standard that is all my own. And that took years to develop and I think it takes everybody if they ever do it at all. And I think that this is what was very special about my mom is that I could tell that my mom was beautiful for herself because whether she was married or divorced, dating or not, she got up every day and put on heels she got dressed and I think that it was with you mom that I could tell that it was it was something that you had to do for you it was was for me like beauty rituals were for her I, I like
1: I like doing it now I like dressing up with my husband I like him dressing up for me we dress up together but then too when people say that I'm beautiful I remember a time when I would say, I I really could see that I think that they saw the light of God in me. I think they saw my happiness, and I think they see my Right, heart. right. I think that my heart shows on my face. I don't hold ill thoughts about people or anything. I, I don't hold... I'm not resentful. I'm not bitter. I'm not jealous. I'm really not tripping. So, I mean, it shows on me. If you do trip, it shows on your face. I
0: about. think that for black women, the issue for a group, or really the goal for us as a race of women is creating an internal standard because even that whole like oh well i was taught this and then i learned that i think that even for me coming into my womanhood is is telling young women to create a completely intrinsic intrinsic standard of beauty that is not related or referential to whiteness or not even related to desirability because of course everybody wants to be desired by who they desire to a certain extent but I think even for black women too much of the onus is trying is put on desirability of trying to feel wanted and I think that the more that you want yourself and the more that you have a standard of beauty that's self-crafted the better it is because it's something that you can have your entire life. I think that beauty for me will never get old. Like I will never get tired of trying new hairstyles. I'll never get tired of experimenting with skincare. And it's not about a boy, because one, you learn men will fuck anything, one. (laughs) Like that's like period. And two, it's about an internal practice that just comes from curating the life that you want. And it's also understanding that there is something godly about beauty there's something that yeah there's... that's what i
1: said about like dressing up to go to church it was like right an honor to do that to show up right. that way but another thing i think that we really need to not do is to like judge other people the way that they look i i see on the right. internet young people are really really hateful too they call people ugly that's something i've never done you never hear me call anybody. Right, right. I don't I don't believe in that word. And I think that beauty is as beauty does. I think that we need to stop judging each other on how we look so much because it's really not that important. looks could change like in a second
0: people see beautiful women and i think that you know there's a lot of beautiful women who are obviously deeply insecure for me even on the days when i don't dress up when i don't feel like the most beautiful person in the world i'm living in a clean house and i am you know i'm pursuing beauty in other ways like for me beauty as in how i look and how i feel about my body you can't always trust your mind and your feelings because With hormones, with age, these things, your day-to-day idea of yourself is going to change for the rest of your life, and you have to be willing to trust your self-love enough to know that you're beautiful, but you also need to know to mistrust your mind enough that when you tell yourself, you have to have a holistic sense of beauty. Like because there there will be things that you that you don't like about the way that you look sometimes that mm-hmm. you can't change and so you have to change your mind about it exactly. like that's the thing like it's really it becomes a mental thing for me I, my body has changed in so many ways and then in some ways it's changed not at all but my my idea towards myself exactly. has changed so much but everything and, starts in your head and that yeah and that has come so much with self ownership of being like this is my body. It's not an object to be shared with people. It's not, you know, an extension of my family because across the board with my sisters and my mothers and my cousins, we all have such different body types over such different times. My body is my own, my sexuality is my own, and I'm allowed to decide the standards that I perceive beauty to be regardless of what other people think of me. And it's very difficult for black women, especially because we're sexualized at such a young age to self-own our notions of beauty because we're taught that beauty is inextricable from desirability. And I think a lot of women across races deal with this where you're desired before you feel beautiful. Because if you're desired at the age of 12, desired at the age of 13, it's very difficult at those times when your body is changing or when you don't even know anything about sexuality or you know self conceptions of self to also feel beautiful and so you you learn that desirability is more important than a self conception of beauty and I think that that's something that has to change and that really starts with taking ownership over your body and it really also starts with honestly looking at the relationship that your mother has with her body. That's true. I, I remember at
1: times when I would say Um, if I said that I was fat or whatever and I realized that you guys would be picking all that up.
0: It's partially our mother's fault that we go out into the world looking for a standard of beauty in a magazine, looking for a standard of beauty elsewhere because our mothers have such a high level of self critique or they're not desired by our fathers or whatever it may be. I remember yeah, or just never seeing a mother being I remember, desired by your father. My, your Yeah. My, my father. dad, I remember my dad used to say, your mother was the first, first dark skinned woman I was ever with as if it was some kind of issue. He would say, Oh, but you know, your mother has a white nose. She has a Caucasian nose and it was just ignorance. But I realized that it was a standard that i judged myself off of the way that my dad felt about the way that my mother looked and until you reconcile with that dynamic in your household the root of the issue how you feel if if y'all don't think if as a woman you yeah. don't believe that your mother is beautiful it's very difficult to create a conception of self that you think is beautiful because the person you're going to look like when you're 50 guess what that's your mom that's the closest thing to it that's your dad if you don't yeah, have, your grandmother, and right? You, I look a
1: lot like my grandma Sadie too. Just like I, I'm saying, get over it. Get over the looks. I told a teenage girl once that she was beautiful, and she just like scowled up like, ew. But I said, you know what? Your eyes are looking out. You really can't see what I'm saying. You you can't see what I'm saying. You are beautiful, and sometimes you just can't see it. So I say, just make sure that you feel good try to you know start by feeling good and um, then dressing up because some days it's just like my best friend says it's not how you feel it's how you (laughs) look
0: so that's all the time that we have for today thank you so much if you've made it this far in the episode I am so excited about the last two episodes of this year episode 19 and episode 20 I mean it was really my goal in one year to make it to 20 episodes And even though I thought that that would be easy, I thought I'd be at episode 57 by now, it's been such a task. But to think that so many of you all, thousands of you all, have listened to hours and hours of my voice when I can hardly stand to edit these episodes listening to myself for more than 10 minutes, is such an honor. And it's just, to be here with my mother, you know what, also, you know, you all are, pretty ridiculous because I've never got such a flood of questions as when I say, my mom is coming on the show. As if it was like, oh wow, well, well, if we're gonna talk to Bianca, we really, really need to talk to Bianca's mother. Can I request to
1: come back for Mother's Day?
0: Listen, I will have I, I am making a, a declaration now that I will have my mom back on for Mother's Day. Correct. As always, no love, show love. I wish you nothing but love and happiness as you close out your year. I'm Bianca Vivian. I'm Darlene
1: Brooks Thomas.
2: And this is Ask Viv. Dime por qué tiene carita de pena Que tiene mi niña siendo santa y buena Cuéntala, a tu padre lo que a ti te pasa Dime lo que tiene reina de mi casa Tu madre la pobre no sé dónde está Dime lo que tienes, dime lo que tienes, dime lo que tienes, dime la verdad. Mi niña Lola, mi niña Lola, ya no tiene la querida del color de la mapola, mi niña Lola. carita del color de la amapola